Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. We are uh, well into a sermon series entitled Man in the Making. We're looking at the life of Simon Peter. So good. Good to see you all. I was out last Sunday. Caleb Hodges was great, man. He, is, he does such a good job. I love to hear him preach. Uh, and uh, as much as I miss being with you all, I, I really hate to be away. Listen, this Friday night, the men's event's coming up at the Ag Center. So, guys, if you haven't registered yet, we need you to register so we can have uh, your meal ready. It includes supper, so register today. If you're in this house, guys, Friday night at the Ag Center, uh, everything is going to be fantastic. So don't miss that. Don't miss that. I I know that you're busy, guys, uh, but it's not that many opportunities we have to get around just us guys, you know, where we can scratch ourselves and spit and all that and nobody can uh, correct us. So uh, join me Friday night uh, for the men's event. It's going to be great. Luke chapter 22, I want you to take a look at at this episode. It's one of the most famous episodes from from, uh, Simon Peter's life. One of the shocking things about the Bible, just literally uh, from a world religions perspective, and when you're just comparing uh, our holy book to the other holy books of, of world religions, Uh, The Bible is different because it just depicts real people. These aren't some sort of plastic saints or people that are airbrushed or otherwise uh, fondly lit in such a way where you don't see their flaws. And uh, and this is one of those stories that shows one of the the key characters in the New Testament in, in all of his flaws. It's Simon Peter. You probably know all of this story, but as we read it, I just want you to realize that this is the place where Simon Peter hits rock bottom, just rock bottom. And also, this is a story that only he could tell. Like there are very private moments and and you get a sense of his psychology, what's going on inside his heart and inside his head. And, And there are details here that only Simon Peter could tell. So just understand that this story that makes him look Not so good, this story that shows a man at rock bottom, this is a story that only Simon Peter could tell, and apparently he told this story until the day he died. I just think it's important and wonderful. If if nothing else, it's important to see the story of a man of God who hits rock bottom because you and I need that kind of story when we hit rock bottom and sooner or later, if you haven't caught on, you're, you're also going to hit rock bottom. How far down does the bottom go? That's always sort of my question. Have you ever seen somebody or, or prayed for somebody to change and, and you're watching their life and you just watch them continue to go deeper and deeper and deeper? Or maybe you've experienced it yourself and you wonder, how far down does the bottom go? You know, the old saying goes, you know, when, you're, when you find yourself, you know, into a pit, stop digging. But, but some people just continue to dig the bottom out deeper and deeper and deeper. How deep does the bottom go? One night uh, years ago, I was called uh, to go to the house of neighbors here in Woodburn. Um, the man had a horrible drinking problem, horrible drinking problem, and uh, they had had a, a, a big just explosion of anger in the house that night. And I went to the house that night. Um, I spent a long time at that house, and it was just a really difficult night. Next day, um, we were having care night here at church, and uh, one of our guys, Ronnie, came in. And Ronnie knows a lot about addiction and a lot about helping folks in addiction. And I said, Ronnie, would you, would you go to this house and just and, and talk to my neighbor? And, um, 
just help him. Ronnie said, sure, Brother Tim. So I gave him the address, and Ronnie went, you know, and I just felt so good. I knew Ronnie was going to be great. I turned back around, and in a minute, Ronnie was back in the parking lot, like, like back. And I said, Ronnie, was, was he not home? You know, did you not catch him? He said, oh, I caught him. I said, well, did you talk to him? He said, yeah, I talked to him. He ain't ready. I said, so, well, Ronnie, I sent you there to get him ready. I mean, this is my brain. You know, I, I, I sent you there. Ronnie said, no, Pastor Tim, you got to understand, he ain't ready. You know, it's amazing how a person in a downward spiral of their life could somehow not be ready. But as I say, sometimes you got to hit rock bottom. How far down does the bottom go? Well, here's the thing about hitting bottom in your life. Here's the ironic thing about the bottom. Do you understand you get to decide how deep you fall. You get to decide how deep the bottom goes. So here's the story of a man who hits rock bottom, and uh, maybe it's a story that all of us need when we find ourselves falling down. Luke chapter 22, I'm, I'm going to skip a little bit. You'll stay with me. Start with me in verse 31. We'll read through verse 34, and then we'll jump over to verse 54. Just have your Bible open and stay with me. Luke chapter 22, verse 31. I, I love this. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Verse 54. So they arrested Jesus and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. And about an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's minds before the rooster crows tomorrow morning. You'll deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard, weeping bitterly. First off, you just got to realize the way that Jesus knows this man better than he knows himself. Jesus knows us all better than we know ourselves. And so Jesus speaks to Simon. So Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. It's a really puzzling sort of warning that Jesus offers here. Now notice that Satan has asked, and you think, Satan's asking who? Well, Satan's asking the Lord. All of this is really 
in some ways puzzling and mind-boggling, but Satan has to ask permission to come after any of us. Satan has to ask permission, which simply means that the trials that you face are only the ones that Christ allows. I find this absolutely astonishing, and I don't even really know how to think about it, but it's true. Satan has to ask And so Jesus says, Satan has asked. Now, Satan has asked to sift all of them like we, all of them, each of you. So it's plural. But Jesus is speaking directly to Simon. Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like we, but I have pleaded in prayer for you. Okay, again, so astonishing. Jesus is praying for Peter. Part of me loves that, but there's a part of me that says, well, instead of praying, why don't you just tell the devil no? Can I just say that out loud? Like, like, don't pray for me. Keep the devil away from me. I mean, you know, if you want to do me a favor, just don't let him come. But Jesus says, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Okay, so the fact that Jesus says this implies that the answer when Satan asked for permission was yes. That he's actually going to allow this trial. That the devil is coming. He's going to sift the disciples like wheat, particularly Simon. And Jesus is praying. So this is going to happen. It's going to happen. The question becomes, why is this happening? Why would Jesus even allow it? And it's not just for Simon, because instantly I think all of us kind of lean in, because we want to know. We want to know why trials are even allowed in our lives. Because the same way the devil wanted to sift those disciples like wheat, he wants to sift us like wheat too. I mean, he wants to come at us. And the devil isn't given free reign in my life. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He would kill every one of us if he could, but he can't. He only gets to come at us. He only gets to test us in the ways that Christ allows. So understand, Christ allows you to go through a trial when it suits his own purposes for your life. So sometimes Christ allows it. Sometimes he allows it, but only when it suits his own purposes. And his purposes are good. I know, this is so much to try to absorb, but you need to absorb this before we really look at this story because you need to know that this is what's happening. Because Jesus wanted Simon to know what was about to happen. There was a spiritual battle going on that Simon couldn't even really understand. And it's a battle that involves him. A battle that involves his own soul. A battle that involves his own faith. When I say you're allowed to go through a trial when it suits the Lord's own purposes for your life, what is his purpose for your life? You ever considered that question? I mean, what does he want for you, from you? What is his purpose for your life? Very, very simply, his purpose for your life is faith. It's faith. Book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's not even possible to please God. Your faith is the most important thing. 
always the most important thing. I know, I know, you're very attached to your happiness. And you sort of have in your mind that God's going to care about your happiness just as much as you care about your happiness, but it's not necessarily the case. The Lord knows that you're going to be happy with him for all eternity in heaven. Happiness for sure is part of his plan for you. But not necessarily yet. There's some work to do in your life, in my life, and that work has everything to do with my faith, your faith. Without faith, it is impossible to know him. It is impossible to please him. It is impossible for him to do his work in your life. It's about faith. So Jesus says, Simon, I have pleaded in prayer for you, what's it say, that your comfort should not fail. No, 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 no. I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, so that you'll be happily ever after. No, no, no. I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, so that your faith should not fail. It's about his faith. It's about your faith. So the devil's coming after Simon, and now he's been warned. I would appreciate the warning, for one thing. You know, Jesus, I appreciate if it weren't going to happen at all, but at least thank you for the heads up. Now I know the devil's on his way to come. The devil's coming after me. Okay, good to know, right? So you would think that from this point on, Simon's going to be very vigilant, watching out for the devil, right? Because the devil roams to and fro seeking to devour us, right? And so now Simon knows to be on the lookout for the devil. So what happens? Well, the bottom falls out of everything. I mean, Jesus is arrested, and although Simon should have seen that coming, he should have been listening to Jesus. He, he's been told over and over and over now that Jesus will suffer, that he's going to be crucified, that, that, that the religious leaders will take hold of him, that they're going to kill him, and in three days he'll rise. I mean, Jesus has been telling them that now for some time. Simon never wanted to hear it. He never wanted to hear the talk about suffering. He never wanted to hear Jesus talk about the cross. He never wanted to hear that. And now it's happening, and Simon still hardly understands what's going on. They arrest Jesus. They take him to the courtyard of the high priest. This is the, the Jewish trial in the middle of the night. It's hardly a trial at all. Now, before we uh, you know, you know, get all excited about bagging up on Simon Peter here, I just want to remind you, he is one of the few that follows to this point. All the other disciples have abandoned Jesus. They got in their cars and they headed out to, you know, Logan County. I mean, they're gone. And, and it's only Simon, and we know from the Gospel of John, the, the beloved disciple John is, is still there. They're in the courtyard of the high priest. So that takes something. I mean, that takes some courage. So before we tell this story and talk about Simon hitting rock bottom, give him some credit. He may be following at a distance, but he's there. He's there. He's in the middle of the mob. Those who you know, will later shout crucify him. Those who are you know, all you know, up on the side of the Jews and the Romans. And in the chill of the night, they built a small charcoal fire out of the courtyard, and Simon Peter just, you know, pulls his hood up and goes and stands by the fire. There's a slave girl, a servant girl. The Gospel of John tells us that she is the one in charge of, like, opening and closing the gate, right? Like, 
making sure that nobody gets in that's not supposed to be in. And so in the shadow there, in the firelight, she starts looking at Simon and she says, wait, 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 wait. This man was one of Jesus' followers. Like this man, like she's pointing at Simon. Now, again, you've got to understand, Simon never expects to see Jesus again. He should, I understand. Jesus warned him over and over and over, but at this point, I'm pretty sure Simon thinks it's over. He never expects to see Jesus again. He has a pretty good idea how this story's gonna end, and it's not gonna end well for Jesus. And for that reason, Simon doesn't really know what's gonna happen, but, but in this moment with this middle school girl, I mean, it just seems easier than anything else just to say, I don't even know him. I think it's interesting how the slave girl says Jesus' name, but Simon won't even say his name now. I don't know him. I don't even know him. Now, I remind you, Jesus said, Simon, the devil is going to come and he's, he wants to sift you like wheat. He's going to press you. He's going to come upon you. And you would think that Simon would be watching, Right? Here's the problem, you know, when the devil shows up, he never shows up dressed like the devil. I mean, when Jesus says the devil's coming after you, I promise you, Simon doesn't picture a little middle school girl. But the devil comes and does his work through the words of a, of a little girl. And at that moment, I guarantee you, Simon can't fathom. He can't understand that this is the devil. This is the moment of testing. He can't understand that yet. It's a little girl. This doesn't feel like spiritual battle. It doesn't feel like any kind of warfare. It's a little girl who simply asks a question, and it's the easiest thing in the world for Simon just to go, I don't know him. Shut up, girl. I don't know him. Simon doesn't want to be associated with Jesus at this point. He just wants to blend in with the crowd, and I get it. I mean, we can all fault him, but I remind you, most of the other disciples, they're not even there. Simon's there, but he doesn't want to be swept up in the mob's madness. He doesn't want to be associated with Jesus. He doesn't want to have to go stand trial with Jesus. It's just easier to say, I don't know him. Girl, hush. I get it. I, I, I think I get it. Things he'll never see Jesus again. It's, it's all over. Jesus is probably going to die, and it breaks his heart. But that doesn't mean he should die too, right? I mean, about an hour ago, Simon did say to Jesus, Jesus, I am with you. I got your back. I, I'd go to prison for you. I would die for you. But when it comes right down to it, hmm. Jesus may be about to die, but Simon can't think of any good reason why he should die with him. Hush, girl, I don't know him. I don't, I don't know him. I get it. I, I, I think I get it. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you, you must be one of them. Simon says, no, man, I'm not. I'm uh, beginning to be a little bit surprised at Simon, though. You, you know, the one who said, I'll go to prison. I would die for you. Are, are you at least a little bit surprised at how quickly he, he, he just collapses? I mean, a, 
a little girl who accuses him. And, 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 and at that point, Simon won't even say Jesus' name anymore. Now just another stranger there says, hey, I think you're one of them. And I mean, Simon just folds like a cheap suit. I mean, he just absolutely collapses how quickly in a crowd of people Simon won't even say Jesus' name. I mean, I just find that astonishing. I mean, surprising. I find it terrifying. Because I, I think I'm a lot like that. Simon, Jesus says, the devil is going to come. He's going to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed that your faith won't fail. It's about faith, right? It's about faith. And maybe Simon at first doesn't understand that this is a test of his faith. This is spiritual warfare right here. There's an enemy that's coming after him. I don't know if he understands it. I'm pretty sure that he doesn't. But I'm shocked at at how quickly he just gives it up. I I mean, the devil doesn't really have to steal your faith when all you'll do is hand it over. And Simon just hands it over. I I mean, you say it's going to be a spiritual battle, but there's no battle because Simon doesn't even put up a fight. I mean, the devil doesn't really have to do very much. He can send a middle school girl out to do the job. He can steal Simon's faith just like that because Simon's just going to hand it over. I'm like that sometimes. Maybe you're like that sometimes. You know what I mean? How much easier it is to just sort of blend in with the crowd than to have to say Jesus' name? I mean, I, I know how it is. In church, you know, we all just sing songs of Jesus. And I mean, y'all are all, woo, me too, man. My hands are in the air praising Jesus. But, but Wednesday morning somewhere else, like at work or school, it could be a very different situation. We got teenagers at this church every Wednesday night. We can pack the cafe with them and they'll worship, sing songs to Jesus. They'll get in their small group and they'll cry and they'll pray and they'll talk about the Lord. But Thursday morning at school, they're different kids. You could be an absolutely different kid. I mean, as much as you're into it on Wednesday night, man, you're a church kid. I'm telling you, when you get to school, you're some other kid. You wouldn't even know you, you know, the way you are with your team, the way you are with your friends. I mean, you say you love Jesus, you say you'll follow Jesus, but the first time somebody passes you a drink at a high school party, I mean, your faith collapses. Just saying, before we... Talk about how Peter just hands over his faith. Maybe we should be a little more honest about ourselves. I don't know how much it takes to make you abandon your faith. I have an idea. Some of you would give up your faith if it just contradicts what you want to do. I mean, you say you love Jesus. You say you want to do what, you know, what Jesus wants for you. But honestly, at any point... When you want to do what you want to do, if you don't think that aligns with what Jesus wants for you, you'll abandon what Jesus wants for you. You're going to do what you want to do. Let's just be honest. If your marriage gets hard, you're out. Find yourself another girl. I mean, it's just that easy for some people to just abandon it. And you can tell yourself a story in your mind that makes it all make sense. And you can even convince yourself that Jesus wants you to be happy. 
It's just amazing to me how, how Christian people, me, you, how quickly we just can uh, turn our backs on Jesus. I'm pretty sure Jesus would not approve of all of your new ideas about, you know, gender. This idea you have about living your life with no sexual boundaries. I have a feeling Jesus isn't going to go along with that. And that's exactly why you'll just turn to walk away from Jesus. Because you're going to have your freedom. You're going to have your happiness. You're going to have to, you know, be who you are, right? It's stunning. I mean, because when you see us in church, when you see us with our church friends, the way we talk, you know, when we're around our parents, the way we talk when we're around our pastor, I mean, you just never really know how, how quickly when the devil comes, we'll just hand it over. Just hand it over. Devil don't even have to steal it when you'll just hand it over. When all he's got to do is just whisper in your ear, you know, give you some idea, this new idea of how you could find some new level of, you know, happiness, sexual satisfaction. I mean, you just walk away from Jesus. It's, it's, it's that easy. So if this is some kind of spiritual battle, you notice the devil doesn't really have to fire a shot. About an hour later, someone else insists, this man must be with him because he's a Galilean. In uh, ancient literature, it's kind of famous that Galileans all spoke with a drawl. Now, y'all wouldn't understand any of this. But, like, like, Peter was, like, from that part of, the, you know, part of town where, like, they all talk. You know, like, you know, like, you know I, no, I don't even believe I know him. I never saw him. I'm not a follower of Jesus at all. You know, and somebody says, you got to be, because, you know, I know that draw. You're Galilean. Like, like, seriously, the Galileans were known for their, you know, their little draw. You know, I mean, they spoke Hebrew with a draw. <laughs> you have to be one of them because you're a Galilean. Obviously a Galilean, right? One of the gospel stories says at that point, Peter starts cursing. I mean, you know, at this point, they're not listening to him. He just says, no, I don't know him. No, hush, girl, I don't know him. Now he's just, you know, cursing. No, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I said, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I don't know him. And then the scripture says, in that moment, while he's still got the words in his mouth, while he's still saying, I don't even know him, the rooster crows. The rooster crows. And then only in the gospel, Luke, do we get this detail, but I don't even know what to think about it. Verse 61, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. What? The Lord turned and looked at Peter. They make eye contact. Now, I remind you, this is a story that only Peter could tell. And that is a detail that only Peter would know. So Peter tells this. At that moment, I heard the rooster crow, and then I looked over, and Jesus was looking me square in the face. Does it change your idea of the story at all? To realize that like, Jesus was there. 
Like probably like me, you've always pictured it where like Peter's outside, but Jesus is inside in a courtroom preoccupied with what's going on and not paying any attention at all at Peter. But this detail changes that picture, that idea of what's going on here. Jesus knows what's going on. Jesus is paying attention to Peter and he's close enough to see him and close enough to hear him. So when Peter says, Hush, girl, I don't even know him. Jesus hears that. And later when he says, no, man, I said I don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus is looking at that. He's listening to that. He knows. And then finally when Peter is cursing, saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Jesus just looks at him. How do you imagine that game? Like, when they make eye contact, Jesus looking him square in the face. What do you think Peter sees in that face? And I remember back in the day growing up, I grew up, I grew up in church, y'all. I mean, literally, I grew up in church. And uh, you know how it is when you're a kid in church? And I'd sit in the pew, and then I'd sit under the pew, and I'd sit over the pew, and then I'd get out the offering envelopes, like in the you know, back of the pew, and I'd you know, give millions of dollars to the church. I'd just spill those out, you know, and lick them and stick my gum in them and, you know, all of that. The thing is, I would sit on a row of my cousins, because a lot of my family went to the church I grew up in. I'd sit on a row of my cousins, and my cousins are hilarious, y'all. They are so funny. They are so funny. But everybody except me had this ability to, like, laugh without laughing. Like, they could all just, like, like laugh. But I would always be the kid that would go, <laughs> like, in church. Like, <laughs> like, bust out laughing. I couldn't help it. And my father could hear me laugh, you know, from across the church. He could pick me out in a dark room in the fog. You know what I mean? My dad, like, instantly. And then I would hear, my dad would snap his fingers. It would sound like a gunshot went off. Like, boom. I'd turn around and look at my daddy, you know. And he would go. And I would have to get up, walk around, and go, go, go sit by my daddy. Uh, that face, you know, when I knew that I had been caught, that face when I knew that I had been singled out, that face when I knew that I had to somehow reckon with the one who had the authority to command my life. I don't know what Peter sees when he sees Jesus look him in the face. It says that Peter remembered at that moment. He remembered the Lord's words when the Lord said, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And then all we have is that Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. This is a man at rock bottom. Now, I've already said, you don't really know how far the bottom goes, right? So how do we know this is the bottom for Peter? How do we know it doesn't go deeper? Well, I tell you, it could go deeper. Do I need to tell you the story of Judas? Judas and Peter, in some ways, do the same thing. Not the identical act, but both of them, when the moment comes, they turn against Jesus in their own way, in different ways. But Judas's bottom goes much, much deeper. And as you know, Judas will take his own life this night. 
So it does go deeper. It could go deeper. But I'm telling you, this is rock bottom for Simon. This is as low as it goes. So Pastor Tim, how do you know that? I know that because from this point on, he's a different man. He's a different man from this point on. He leaves and he's weeping bitterly and we don't know where he goes and we don't know how long he weeps, but we know next time we see this man, he is gonna be changed. He will be changed. He will be the rock that Jesus said he would be. He isn't the rock right now. It's not who he is. That's not the, the, he's not rock solid in any sort of way. But when we see him next, he will be He will be the first of the disciples to stand up and preach the gospel. That's going to be Peter. I mean, Peter, next time we see him, he's going to be a different man. That's how I know. That's how I know this is the bottom for him. This is the bottom for him. Because that's the thing about hitting the rock bottom. You understand? The, The rock bottom comes when you decide to stop falling. When you decide to stop digging the hole that you're in, the bottom comes when in your falling, you turn to Jesus and he begins to lift you up. You get to decide. You get to decide how far down the bottom goes. You ever felt like your life was in a downward kind of spiral? Some of you right now, it's not really just the past year. I'm not sure that COVID and being locked out of church, all that, I don't think that that introduced anything new into most of our lives. I don't think that we could say that COVID stole our faith. But I think that those people who were already sort of sliding you know, away, man, COVID just you know, gave them a good shove. I mean, I think it sped things up. So marriages that were already probably struggling, they couldn't really make it through COVID. It, it, it turned the heat up. It, it, it accelerated the descent. You understand? And those who were struggling with addiction, man, all of a sudden they're locked in the house with nothing but their longing And uh, let's just suffice it to say, a lot of us coming out of this past year, we just feel it, you know, going down. You feel out of control in every single way. You feel lonely. The habits that you were turning to before now, I mean, those habits have got you now. I mean, some of you guys right now, you you are so addicted to pornography and and you think nobody knows and maybe nobody does know. And every time you leave a computer, you have to clear your tracks because you are so afraid that somebody's going to see what you have actually been looking at. And you're always thinking that you're going to change that. You're always thinking that you're going to somehow not not be that guy, but but you understand you are that guy. That that is who you are. And, And you are falling You are falling. You may not see it yet. It's a spiritual battle. You understand the devil has actually come after you to steal your faith. He would take your life if he could. But you don't recognize that because the devil never shows up dressed like the devil. Never. 
The, the devil will test you, but he'll show up at work as a man who treats you with all the kindness that your husband doesn't treat you with anymore. And all of a sudden, that man's attention is just like a drug to you. It makes you forget all of your promises to your husband and all of your commitments to your children. I mean, that attention from that man is just intoxicating to you, and you don't even understand how the devil is working. You want to think that it would take some sort of amazing pressure to make you give up your faith, but honestly, with the right bait, you'll step right into the trap and hand it over. Man, and your life just starts down this spiral. Your marriage, you just continue to argue. You get angrier and angrier, and you continue to refuse to forgive, and it just continues to go down and down and down. And you wonder, how far down can this go? How far do we go before one of us or both of us to say, I'm done? That this drinking that you're doing, that, that you tell yourself that it's fine because, you know, Jesus drank wine, and I know he did, I know he did, but Jesus didn't, you know, like drink wine for breakfast. Jesus didn't drink it to the point where he didn't know what he was saying anymore. Jesus didn't have to have a drink every time he walked in the house to deal with his children. Jesus didn't drink like that. Your drinking is a problem. Your drinking is destroying your marriage. It makes you angrier. It makes you less likely to stop before you take it too far. And you don't understand the way you're just spiraling down. I mean, going down deeper and deeper and deeper. Don't you understand? Man, you act one way with your friends at school and one way with your friends at church, and you don't seem to understand that you've stepped onto a path that's going to take you somewhere. It's going to take you somewhere much further than you ever planned to go, and you're always telling yourself that one of these days you'll pull it together. You know, sometimes you realize that you really don't like living two lives, being two different people. But this is your life now, and it's just going down and down and down. And you want to think, you just want to think that you're going to get control of it before it really goes to the bottom. I just want to remind you that uh, if you had that kind of power, if you had the ability to change yourself, to stop yourself, if you had that ability to take these two people that you are or multiple different people that you are in different situations, if you had the ability to pull all that together and just live truly, true to your faith, true to your God, true to your promises, I mean, if you had that ability, you would have done that a long time ago. If you had the actual courage to walk in school and say the name of Jesus, you would already be a different kind of guy at school. So let's just be honest. You're not going to do it. You can't change yourself. You can't save yourself. You can't make yourself. And you are on a downward spiral. I don't know how long it'll take you to fall. I don't know how long it'll be before you hit the bottom. But do you want to know the secret about hitting rock bottom in your life? You get to decide. You get to decide where the bottom is. You get to decide. You get to say how far you go down this road. You get to say 
how long you continue in bitterness and unforgiveness. You get to say how long you continue to live the miserable life you're living. You get to decide. You get to decide how far you fall. The bottom comes when in your falling you turn to Jesus and he begins to lift you up. You're not going to change this direction on your own. It's never going to happen until you turn to Jesus. You can't do this. You can't reverse this. You can't fix what's been broken. You can't do any of this. Don't you understand? The only thing you can do is fall. But you do get to decide how far you fall. So after a while, a man says, mm, I, I can tell by the way you talk. You're a Galilean. You have to be one of his followers. And Peter says, man, I don't even know what you're talking about. And then two things happen. A, a rooster crows. Peter turns around and looks Jesus square in the face. He leaves and he cries and he cries and he cries. But when he comes back, different man. It is a man at rock bottom, make no mistake. This is as far as he's ever going to fall. And I like the story of a man at rock bottom because I have been at my bottom. I was in Daytona, Florida. And I stood and looked at the ocean. And I just begged God, that I could go back home and be a different person. Maybe the bottom could have gone deeper for me. I'm quite sure that it could, but I'm thankful that that's as far as I fell. It's at that moment that I turned to Jesus and he began to lift me up. I was 18. Peter leaves and he weeps bitterly. Sure, just the face of Jesus burned in his mind and the words of Jesus. Jesus knew him better than he knew himself. Jesus said, by morning you'll deny me three times. And Peter said, what are you talking about? That's impossible. I would die for you. And then the rooster crows and Peter realizes what he's just done. I mean, it happened and he didn't even know what happened. It's a man at his bottom. Rock bottom. It's the ironic thing about hitting bottom in your own life. You decide how far you fall. And the bottom comes at that moment when you turn to Jesus. And he begins to lift you up. You hear me? You can be a different person. The change that you crave, you can know. The habits right now that have you enslaved, you can be free of that. The marriage that you think has no way back, God can save your marriage. 
This could be the bottom for you. You'll decide. Pray with me. Lord, I pray for those young people and men and women, husbands and wives, teenagers. Lord, I pray for all of those in the sound of my voice who are falling, who are slipping away, whose lives are on this downward slope, this sinking cycle of failure and guilt. Lord, I pray that you would just cause them to look up and see you, to reach out and take your hand, to understand that it doesn't have to be this way, to understand that their desires to walk with you truly and faithfully, the desire to be free, the desire to forgive, the desire to live a life of love, the desire to find peace, Lord. All of these things are possible, but only in you, only in you. Pray that, I pray that people will reach out, Lord, call out to you before it's too late, before so much is gone, before too much is lost, before, before they reach the end of the path, Lord. I just simply pray, Lord Jesus, that today you will cause those who are getting closer and closer to the bottom, Lord, to call up on you. Let you lift them up. God, please, 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 Lord, turn lives around before it's too late. Please. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, whose face we long to see.